Hello and welcome back to Scottish Independence Podcasts. This week we're continuing our look at the party political conferences, keynote speakers, and this week we have Lorna Slater and Patrick Harvey from the Scottish Greens. Thank you to each and every one of you for joining us today, either here in Dundee or online. The last 18 months have been unlike any in Scottish Greens history. We've gone from being a party of opposition to a party of government and have amplified our voice in all corners of Scotland after our record result in the council elections earlier this year. This could not have happened at a more critical moment. Conference, this is a pivotal time for Scotland and our planet. Last year, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warned that humanity faced a code red. Since then, we have seen what that means. Temperature records across the world have been smashed, and millions have suffered through droughts and wildfires. Devastating floods in Pakistan, thousands dead. Hospitals overwhelmed, tens of millions displaced. This is the new normal. This is the grim reality of the climate crisis, which is already upon us. And that's why we need an emergency response, a just transition away from fossil fuels. That is what Scottish Greens in government are doing. This week, we announced the first tranche of the half billion pound just transition fund for the Northeast and Murray, vital funds that will help create green jobs and support communities in their journey to net zero. We are investing in active travel and public transport with record funding for walking, wheeling, and cycling infrastructure, a local bus fund, and five billion pounds to decarbonize our railways. We are delivering record funding, record investment in recycling, and I am taking forward the Circular Economy Bill, which includes a ban on the destruction of unsold goods. We have established the groundbreaking 60 million pound nature restoration fund, supporting projects all over Scotland, restoring our natural environment, investing in our rural communities, and we've reintroduced beavers. (laughs) (laughs) Canadians love beavers, they're our national animal. We have confirmed that the Scottish Government will no longer support new incinerators. With the best will in the world, we could not have done this from the backbenches. These are changes that can only be made by Greens in government. With Scottish Greens in government, we can do far more to turn words into reality. Long-standing Green policies turned into action, We are building a greener Scotland. Yet while we use the powers available to us to deliver on our climate commitments, the Tory government in Westminster are using theirs to deliver for their friends in the fossil fuel industry. In just the last few weeks, they have opened up our seas to more oil and gas production brought fracking back to England, threatened to ban solar farms, and refused to put a windfall tax on the obscene profits of the fossil fuel giants. These are the actions of climate criminals. 
and we must oppose the Tories every step of the way. A transition is not just about moving towards something. It's also about moving away from something. We have to leave fossil fuels in the ground. Fossil fuels in Scotland and the North Sea are no exception. That's why the Scottish government opposed CAMBO. That's why we will fight the UK government's reckless pursuit to extract every last drop of oil and gas. And that's why Scotland stands against fracking. Conference, it's our responsibility as Greens to ensure the just transition is a real transition, an urgent transition away from climate-destroying fossil fuels. Right now, fossil fuel companies and the right are trying to stop this. They say Putin's war is a reason to dump our climate commitments and bring back coal and fracking. Right now, the UK government is considering opening a major new coal mine in Cumbria, they have even issued a coal license in the south of Scotland. Make no mistake, this is Westminster climate denial. It would be the final nail in the coffin for UK's international reputation. It must be stopped. We in Scotland are willing to lead the way. And that is why I can announce that the Scottish government is adopting our preferred position of no support for coal extraction in Scotland. <laughs> Scotland, the country that helped bring the coal-fired industrial revolution to the world, has drawn a line. The era of coal is over. And I'm calling on the UK government to follow us, to make the right call for once and ban coal extraction for good. <laughs> Conference, I thought Boris Johnson would be one of the worst prime ministers <laughs> of my lifetime. It turns out he wasn't even the worst prime minister this year. I have one word for Liz Truss, resign. Despite the chaos, Scotland has no say. We didn't vote for Brexit. We didn't vote for Boris Johnson. We didn't vote for Liz Truss or her catastrophic mini budget. We didn't vote for runaway inflation or skyrocketing interest rates. And we certainly didn't vote for cuts to benefits or tax cuts for millionaires. Labour and the Tories tell us that Scotland already has all the power it needs, but even the limited powers we have are now being eroded by a Westminster government that we didn't vote for. After Brexit, the UK government introduced the Internal Market Act giving Westminster a new veto over the Scottish Parliament. Does that sound like the world's most powerful devolved government? We can do so much better than this.
There is nothing inevitable about cuts and austerity. There is nothing inevitable about climate vandalism. And yet, as long as we remain tied to a broken Westminster system, that is what we'll get. It doesn't need to be like this. Next year's independence referendum will give us a historic opportunity. It will be the chance to finally take our future into our own hands and move on from Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, and the whole Westminster Circus. Although it deeply upsets me to hear the word circus used pejoratively. <laughs> All the circus professionals I know are really disciplined experts. But I don't just support independence as a way to get rid of Tory governments. I support it because it will give us the best possible chance to build a fairer, greener, and better future. Yeah. Right now, the debate is hung up on process and how independence might happen. I'm far more interested in how an independent European Scotland could look. A Scotland with the powers and resources to invest in the green technology of the future and deliver the radical climate action we need. A sustainable Scotland that can be a world leader in protecting our planet. A fairer Scotland with a universal basic income and a real living wage for all. A diverse Scotland that stands with marginalized communities and is at the forefront of equality. A Scotland that stands up for LGBTQ rights. A Scotland that proudly says trans rights and non-binary rights are human rights. A feminist Scotland that ensures that women are in the room and that we're making the decisions that count. <laughs> a happier Scotland with a four-day working week and well-being at the heart of our economy. A <laughs> it's a long list, gang. Here. <laughs> I've got quite a long list here, gang. Um, <laughs> this is great. I love this positive vision for the future. A democratic Scotland, where the power is in the hands of people and our communities. A republican Scotland, where the people are truly sovereign. A Scotland that can rightly take our place in the European Union and regain what we lost under Boris Johnson's hard Brexit. A welcoming Scotland that opens our doors to refugees and rejects the hostile environment. A Scotland that will stop arming human rights abusers around the world and finally remove the moral abomination of nuclear weapons from our shores. A Scotland that acts in solidarity with oppressed people around the world. A Scotland that stands with Ukraine.
this is the Scotland I want. It's not a Scotland we can build under devolution. When, when the independence vote is called, the Tories and Labour will throw everything they have at us. But I know we are up to the challenge. They will tell us that we're not good enough. They will spread misinformation and scare stories like they did in 2014. Back then, they told us voting no was the only way we could keep Scotland in Europe and enjoy the economic stability of the UK. <laughs> they told us that the idea of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister was preposterous. I mean, it was preposterous, but um, they told us that we would be better together. How do those words sound today? Our green vision for an independent Scotland's economy is a distinct one that works for people and planet. We will lay that out in detail through the publication of our own Green Yes papers in the coming months. This will build on the government's prospectus. Conference on Monday, the First Minister will publish the Scottish government's economic prospectus for an independent Scotland. As a result of the Butte House Agreement and our presence in government, you will see a clear green impact. Independence is an opportunity for economic transformation, a chance to move away from the Tories' neoliberal crony capitalism that serves only the very rich at the expense of everyone and everything else. We... <laughs> we have worked to ensure that tackling the climate crisis is central to the Scottish Government's plans for our economy and public finances and to ensure that prospectus clearly offers Scotland's workers a new deal. The pandemic underlined just how badly the UK's economic system is failing workers. An independent Scotland will be different. With full powers over employment law, the Scottish government will not only move immediately to repeal the Tories' 2016 Anti-Trade Union Act, we will expand workers' rights further. We will work to significantly expand collective bargaining throughout the economy because we know that the single greatest way to raise wages and improve conditions is through an organized workforce capable of demanding what they rightly deserve. The future government of an independent Scotland will have the power to significantly improve the lot of workers. For example, the UK's level of statutory sick pay is the lowest of any OECD nation. For the Scottish Greens, bringing an independent Scotland up to the OEC average would be a major priority. This will increase sick pay to seven times its current levels, ending the scandal of people forced to go into work when they are ill, and to do so simply because they cannot afford the loss of pay. Right now, we are living through the worst cost crisis for generations. Thanks to the Tories all across our country, here in Dundee and beyond, there are people and families struggling. It's a social emergency, and independence is the solution.
conference, this is the first time that we have gathered since May's local elections. So I want to use this opportunity to thank everyone who stood as a Green candidate and every one of you who campaigned. To together, we delivered record numbers of Green votes, a record number of Scottish Green councillors elected, 35 councillors in 13 local authorities. Greens even topped the polls in six wards in Glasgow, Edinburgh, and Orkney. What a moment it was to see Councillor Holly Bruce come out top in Langside. That was amazing. Already, communities across Scotland are seeing the difference that Greens make. In South Lanarkshire, Councillor Kirsten Robb got her council to agree to divest their pension funds from fossil fuels. And in East Lothian... <laughs> it's, it's a long list here, work with me, team. Uh, in East Lothian, Councillor Shona McIntosh is following suit. In Murray, Councillor Drake Vanderhorn has become Murray Council's first climate champion. In Orkney, our two Green councillors have got their council to do more to deliver net zero. In the Highlands, our group of four councillors have already secured support for free local bus travel for refugees. In Glasgow, our record group of and the councillors, are already making a huge difference, including making the cycle lanes and pedestrian space created in Glasgow during the pandemic permanent. Yeah. And in my hometown in Edinburgh, the Green councillors are working hard to protect their communities from a Labour administration propped up by the Tories. And don't forget how close we came in so many other wards, like here in Dundee, where Tanya Jones got 10% and came within 90 votes of being elected. What a strong place that puts us in for the next time around. When I look around this room today, I don't just see the many people who have built our party. I also see its future. And I am so proud. Conference, there is no doubt we have a big challenge ahead of us. But we have faced big challenges before. When we went into the Holyrood election last year and the council elections in May, none of you looked at the results of the past and gave up. You did what Scottish Greens do best. You got stuck in. And you built the movement from the ground up. That's how Brian Quinn won in Clackmanager. That is how Lana Reed McConnell one in Glasgow. That's how we achieved record results in Holyrood and in communities across our country. It's how our party was built and why we are in a position to turn our green vision into reality. Independence won't just be won in Holyrood. It will be won by each and every single one of us. It will be won when we knock on doors. It will be won when we have conversations with our friends. It will be won when we reach out to our communities and the people around us. That is how Scottish Greens have secured change in the past, and that is how we will do it again. That is how we will build the fairer, greener, and independent Scotland that I know we can be. Thank you, conference. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for everything you are doing to build our party and our movement.
Thank you very much. Uh, this is very sweet of you. Next up, I would like to welcome my fellow co-leader, my ministerial colleague, and the lovely guy I share my office with, the first Green Minister to bring a government bill anywhere in the UK, champion, champion and protector of tenants' rights in Scotland, Patrick Harvey. Lorna, that was amazing. You've given me a tough job, a tough act to follow. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to live up to that, but it really has been an incredible privilege to be working together with you uh, as government ministers and as co-leaders. I couldn't have asked for someone better to work with to deliver that much fabled thing, strong and stable government. <laughs> You know, we could probably give lessons to Tory Prime Minister. We won't give lessons to Tory Prime Ministers, but we could. Whoever the Tory Prime Minister is by the time we finish our speeches today. <laughs> I mean, it has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Um, I was counting this morning, and uh, I think we've had as many chancellors this summer as we've had Doctor Who's since 2005. <laughs> But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to laugh at the Tories. Very, very easy to laugh <laughs> at the Tories. But these people are dangerous. Two things in particular stand out for me uh, about them. First of all, it's the brazenness of their extreme ideology. Seeing Brexit as a, a kind of a gateway to a Britannia Unchained agenda smashing through hard-won workers' rights and environmental protection, tearing the social fabric to shreds, and pursuing deregulation to literally lethal degrees. And despite the forced and farcical U-turns that we've seen on tax cuts for big business and the super-rich, we all know that Liz Truss isn't sitting there in Downing Street thinking to herself, how did I get this so wrong? She's sitting there thinking, I wish I could have got away with that. But second is the almost surreal level of incompetence that they bring to the job. They're desperate to pick up on any misstep of the Scottish, Scottish government. But at the same time, they're running a more chaotic government than anything the thick of it could ever have imagined. <laughs> the word omni-shambles now sounds like modest understatement. <laughs> But in both these respects, the cruelty and the chaos, they march in step with the rise of the authoritarian, populist, and anti-democratic right more generally. From Trump to Bolsonaro and more, the world has seen right-wing movements which gleefully advertise their own ignorance while doubling down on their hostility to even the most basic human decency. But the world has also seen and may see again later this month in Brazil, these people can and do lose. To listen to much of the UK media over recent years, it, it might have seemed that their rise was inevitable. And there are even progressive voices in the world who seem to despair, who treat the rightward drift and all that it threatens as though it is a political law of nature. It is not. I've said before that hope can be hard work these days, and that remains the case. 
But the Greens here in Scotland and around the world say this is not inevitable, that genuinely democratic politics is capable not only of progress to a more just, sustainable and peaceful world, but that it can also restore the trust that right-wing populism seeks to undermine. Scotland's politics cannot claim to be perfect, but we do decisively seek to stand against this toxic trend in modern politics. And colleagues, that's why we in the Scottish Greens should be proud of the role we are playing in government. There are many, many aspects of the current cost of living crisis that households are facing across the country. People are hurting already, and many, many more are anxious about what they are yet to face. But it's really important for us to acknowledge that after more than a decade of Tory policies, far too many people were already living in the depths of a cost-of-living crisis long before that phrase was filling newspaper columns. For them, this year has only intensified what they already knew, that an advanced and wealthy economy, even one with ever-growing prosperity at the top, guarantees them nothing. And as Greens, we have known for many years, growth does not create an economy where wealth trickles down. In fact, it gets hoovered up from those who act, whose work actually creates that wealth in the first place. But it's undeniable that the cracks in our economic system have been widened enormously by three of the latest hammer blows. First came the self-inflicted harm of Brexit. Well, self-inflicted at UK level at any rate, but imposed on Scotland without the consent of our people. And then the terrifying return of war to our continent, Russia's indefensible invasion of Ukraine, and let us once again restate our respect for the extraordinary stand of the Ukrainian people and our commitment to support them. <laughs> Vladimir, Vladimir Putin abuses the power that has been given to him by the world's fossil fuel dependency, compounded by the fragility of Western economies in which market efficiency has been valued more highly than human and social resilience. And then finally, the, the third of these hammer blows, the additional harm inflicted by the new Prime Minister and her mini-budget. And let's be clear, she was the author just as much as her first choice Chancellor. The harm that mini-budget inflicted on everyone else in society, at least that is everyone without a hedge fund, giving a half measure of support on energy prices with one hand and taking with the other hand by cutting benefits, cutting budgets, and their bizarre fiscal antics which have poured fuel on the fire. But despite the immediacy of this crisis, more than ever before, the overlap between the cost of living, the climate emergency, and global security is being understood. People see the deep connections between the causes. They see that they require the same solutions, and they see that leaving it to the market won't cut it. They see the hypocrisy of those who push the idea 
of individual responsibility onto the powerless while giving the powerful a free pass. And they see the need for government to act. Conference, we should be proud not only of being part of a government which is acting, but the role we have played to strengthen and accelerate that action. And shifting away from fossil fuels, of course, is central to that. Not only, as Lorna so rightly said, the production of fossil fuels, but our use of it as well. In government, I'm leading on zero carbon buildings. And early in that role, I published the heat and building strategy. It's a strategy that has been singled out by the UK Committee on Climate Change as setting the pace for the rest of the UK. We've committed the Scottish Government to invest a transformative £1.8 billion over the term of this Parliament in making our homes warm, low carbon and cheap to heat. We'll end the installation of new fossil fuel boilers by 2024 and the £300 million heat networks fund that I announced earlier this year, as well as additional investment in green heat for social housing, will maximise the creation of district, communal and publicly owned heat systems. Scotland's local authorities... <laughs> Scotland's local authorities, social landlords and community bodies can play a critical role in building and owning the energy infrastructure that we need for the 21st century, operating it in the public interest. This is a long-term task, but it's not one that we put off till later. We're already underway, and we're also investing in the direct support that people need right now to cut their bills, with grants and loans and extra capacity for the critically important frontline advice services. We're doing so much more to tackle the cost crisis as well. Free bus travel, secured by the Scottish Greens, is now transforming the lives of over half a million young people in Scotland who've taken over 25 million journeys. And that's including over 17,000 young people right here in Dundee. We know... We know that making public transport free is the right thing to do if we're to change behaviour and reduce transport's impact on the climate crisis. But as the cost crisis bites, it also proves it's the right thing to do if we want to build a fairer Scotland where everyone can access work, education and leisure no matter where they live. And my colleague Mark Ruskell is now leading the calls to ensure that people seeking asylum in Scotland are also entitled to free bus travel too because the most marginalised people among us must not be overlooked as we tackle that cost of living crisis. It affects us all. More needs to be done as well to make our rail network more affordable as well. But I'm delighted that since our conference back in March, we finally brought ScotRail back into public ownership and soon we'll have the chance to nationalise the Caledonian sleeper service too. Yes. And ScotRail is already cheaper than rail elsewhere in the UK, but that's a pretty low bar. So with our Fair Fares review, we're keen to make daily travel by train more affordable during this cost of living crisis and ensuring that our rail network is there to deliver low carbon, accessible travel, not profits for private companies. There's, 
there's a great deal more that we need to do as well to put money into the pockets directly of those who need it most. This year saw the rollout of our new adult disability payment in Scotland. Thanks to the work of green MSPs, this is a fairer, more compassionate replacement for PIP, the personal independence payment. We scrapped the requirement for unnecessary and often cruel benefits assessments, and we've put over £500 million back into the pockets of disabled people in Scotland. We've achieved the mitigation of the Tories' cruel benefit cap, a direct result of green action, and that's in addition to doubling the Scottish child payment, another social protection not available anywhere else in the UK, and we'll go further by increasing it again this year. One of the most important commitments that we made on entering government was the promise of a new deal for tenants. And it's one that means a lot to me personally. Like most people, I've had a, a patchy relationship with the private rented sector. I've had landlords who've been responsible and respectful, and I've had landlords at the other end of the spectrum. I know what it's like to be harassed out of a rented flat at short notice. And I was one of the lucky ones because I had family that I could go to for help. Not everybody's in that position of having family where they can go, who have room for them, or where they're safe. We know that for far too many people, the housing system simply doesn't work, doesn't meet their needs or their human right to adequate housing. So just before Christmas last year, we consulted on this new deal for tenants. It contains all the commitments from the cooperation agreement that you approved last year, from the right to decorate and keep pets, through to protection from winter eviction, better regulation, and a national system of rent controls. But as the cost crisis deepened, it was clear that more urgent action was needed, more than the existing law could achieve. And now I'm proud to say that our work over the summer has delivered a rent freeze and tight eviction controls. We've been, we've been praised for this work by Sadiq Khan, Labour's Mayor of London. We've seen Scottish Labour try to take the credit, and then we've seen Labour in the one place where they're in government with the power to act, blocking the same protection in Wales. Greens are leading on protection for tenants in the long term and in the here and now, not just tweets and press releases and half-baked proposals, but robust change that actually works for people in the real world. And we'll go on and deliver the rest of that new deal for tenants. As Greens in government, do you know, I still get a little tingle when I use that phrase. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been in the Scottish Parliament a while now. I've seen majority, minority and coalition governments, uh, and I'm thrilled that we now are in the position of taking the Greens into government and making speeches like Lorna's uh, earlier today, announcing major change uh, in Scotland. It, uh, I'm going off script now, but I, I really... <laughs> You know, the, 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 wee, the wee kid who sat at the back of somebody's living room when my mum was going along to Green Branch meetings back in the 80s uh, could not possibly have imagined the excitement to, to be able to use a phrase like Greens in government. We've... 
as Greens in government, we've thrown ourselves into using every power and every last penny available to us to tackle the climate emergency, to support people through the cost of living crisis and to make Scotland a fairer place to live. But this year, we have been repeatedly reminded of the constraints and obstacles that stand in our way. We know how much more we could do if Scotland had the powers that come with being a normal, independent country. To guarantee a decent and dignified life for everyone, to fund the full and rapid decarbonisation of our society on every level, and to stand against the politics of despair by doing the hard work of offering hope. Taking control of our borders, not to shut them down and turn people away, but to build a welcoming and inclusive Scotland that plays its full role in the international community. Giving everyone who lives here a democratic say in the future of our country, not so we can leave and become insular, but so we can fully participate as responsible global citizens. This moment in history is a stark reminder that the climate crisis is a humanitarian crisis too. This crisis demands compassionate politics at a European and a global level, something that Greens in government around the world are leading on. But just as we were trying to create a welcoming Scotland where people literally opened their doors and their homes to those seeking refuge, we ran up against the hostile environment created by the UK's Home Office. And make no mistake, this cruel and racist environment will not change regardless of who occupies number 10. The Tories and Labour are locked in a race to the bottom in their Farage-inspired post-Brexit fantasy. We've got a Home Secretary who describes putting vulnerable asylum seekers on a plane to Rwanda as her dream and her obsession. And Labour's response... Shadow Chancellor Rachel Rees urging the Tories to get a grip and claiming that a lack of deportations is 12 years of Tory failure. Now, of course, everyone in this room and millions more like us want to see the back of this Tory government. But we refuse to accept that we can do no better than the prospect over the next few years of a Labour government who will not only fail to overturn that Tory hostile environment, but are threatening to go even further. And Keir Starmer has made it clear that he has no intention of rebuilding our relationship with the EU, insisting he will make Brexit work, whatever that means. And even if they inherit, even if they inherit a budget with a supermassive black hole at its heart, they won't even think twice about spending hundreds of billions on replacing Trident. And what's more, they seem to have exactly the same level of contempt that the Tories have shown for Scotland's right to choose our own future, point-blank refusing the referendum despite Scotland repeatedly electing majorities in its favour. Scotland... Scotland did not vote for Brexit. It did not vote for hostile immigration policies. It did not vote for Trident in our waters. But that is what we're set to get, whether the winners of the next Westminster election were blue or red. And that's why we must have the right to choose a different path. So, conference, this weekend, let us, as the Scottish Green Party, recommit ourselves to our vision of independence that works for people and planet.
independence for people and planet. Thanks for listening. That was the Scottish Greens conference in October 2022. Join us again next week for our next episode of Scottish Independence Podcasts. Bye now.